Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Uh, if you're listening today, then hopefully you listened to the last episode with Aaron Wilcox. We went a little bit over uh, the league or uh, talked about the actual auction league that we're doing, how we kind of uh, how the league got started, how uh, we all got together, and uh, you know, basically all about him, all about the league. Uh, today, we're actually going to broaden things a little bit because uh, I'm pretty sure that if we're going to grow our audience and, uh, you know, talk about other things for a long period of time and not just, you know, a few episodes here and there, then uh, we're probably going to need to talk about more things than just uh, one Dynasty League with 12 people in it. <laughs> so today, we're going to broaden our uh, horizons a little bit. We're going to talk about some uh, some maybe uh, overvalued, undervalued players, uh, I guess obviously depends on uh, on your opinion, but I do have a guest today. His name is uh, Crescent Sorby. I believe that's correct. Uh, if I messed that up just like last week, <laughs> then uh, you let me know. But uh, welcome, Crescent. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. You actually nailed it. Not too many people get my last name right on the first try. So, and you got my first name right too. It was just last time you had the, the order mixed up, but. Um, <laughs> well- yeah, in my good. defense, your name on uh, on Group Me is Crescent John, and I just kind of—I guess it was my fault for assuming, but <laughs> I went ahead and just assumed it was John. I uh, obviously I was wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, so I think that's what I have on Facebook. So, like, I'll talk a little bit about myself right now. I'm a I'm a high school teacher, and so I purposely like get rid of my name, my last name on social media and things like that. So like my students who have all the free time in the world, apparently, because they have found it stalked me. Um, so I kind of get rid of my last name on there. So Until you jump when on I join group me, when I, <laughs> when I throw it out in the first sentence. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see if they somehow find this, which there probably will be some kids that have the capability. Honestly. <laughs> um, but I joined, I joined GroupMe for the first time for some, like, staff event or something like that. And so I just, like, joined through Facebook. And because of that, it kept my name as Crescent John. I don't even, I've never even bothered to go back in and edit it or change it or anything. So I probably should get on that. <laughs> no, no problem. Like I said, it was totally my fault. But uh, thanks for coming on today. Um, you know, you mentioned you're a teacher. I'm guessing that kind of got you into the whole uh, writing aspect of fantasy. And uh, that's kind of part of the reason why uh, I have you on today and even why there's kind of a podcast. It was kind of, uh, I guess, uh, inspired by your writing. And I, you know, I, I saw you had written a couple of articles and it kind of made me think, hey, you know, he can do that. I can uh, I can talk and we can kind of, you know, make some stuff happen here. Yeah, I I've always been intrigued by football like my whole life it's just I'm a very small guy like to put in perspective for our audience I'm about 5'4 135 145 pounds depending on which season it is (laughs) and as a result like I was never really capable of doing much in sports I'm decently athletic but I'm there's no way I could ever play football but I loved watching it you know it was something I could connect with my dad on and things like that and so as I got older and fantasy became bigger I really got involved with it And mainly I just played with friends, you know, doing leagues here and there. And then we slowly started to expand to keeper leagues. And then finally, like last year, I had my very first dynasty league. And so my friends always like talk about how 
involved I am with it and how much I learn and, you know, the stats. And so as a result, I kind of have a reputation amongst just my circle as being a guy that's like too involved with fantasy. And I was (laughs) considering like, what should I do with that? Right. Like I breathe fantasy football and fantasy sports, you know, all over my Twitter timeline is just random dudes that have no idea who they are that just spew stats and things like that. And so I kind of wanted to do something with that. And our league, kind of inspired me to just start writing um it was kind of a goal i made personally for myself and i even shared it with my class like we do a project where um you know at the beginning of the year and we kind of talk about what our personal goal and academic goal is and i share my own ones and my personal goal was to actually create a podcast about fantasy sports um and so i was i never really got around to it but i did think like oh i can write and maybe I can start writing about this experience and kind of see where it goes from there. So that's kind of why I started writing those articles. And I'm really glad that it got you involved in making this podcast, right? Because now we have something like for our league and potentially something we can carry on down the road. So I'm actually really excited for this opportunity. Yeah, me too. And it, it's honestly something that I've wanted to do. And I kind of mentioned this before, but it's something that I wanted to do in the past. Um, never really, I guess had like, like I said, that inspiration, uh, to actually do it, you know, I kind of have recorded some things and listened to it and said, oh, man, I hate my voice, like that kind of thing. But I never actually, you know, got around to to really doing it. But, uh, you know, this time around, it, you know, like I said, we're definitely trying it out and hopefully we can make something of it. Um, and that's why I was saying we need to kind of broaden our horizons and not just talk about our league as, as interesting as it is. Um, there's so many other types of leagues and, and everything else. And obviously it, it kind of boils down uh, to the players when it all is said and done. Um, so, you know, right now we have uh, a lot going on with uh, rookies and, you know, the, the younger players and everything, the combine just happened. Um, I know we kind of talked before, you know, about maybe you not being the biggest uh, like college fan, maybe not a fan, but like, you know, you, you don't really watch college on a weekly basis or anything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, do you have any thoughts about the combine? Any takeaways? So this is only my second year ever doing Dynasty. Last year was my very first. Okay. And I remember the rookie draft. And I was just trying to, like, figure out information about rookies because I had no clue. Like, I, you know, you have a general idea of who's going to be drafted in certain spots and things like that just from, like, reading mock drafts. But I didn't know, like, you know, would it be better to take A.J. Brown or Paris Campbell, like, or things like that. I never really got much into it. And so, like, for me, even this year, like, I'm learning a little bit more, but there's so much that I've found with, you know, Combine Twitter and Draft Twitter that people are just crazy about certain prospects. And I guess the one real takeaway I have is that, you know, like Jonathan Taylor, he absolutely destroyed the Combine, right? And he kind of solidified himself a lot as, in a lot of people's minds, as, like, the 101 in you know non-super flex drafts but i what i've come to find and what i've learned is right is all about opportunity where these guys are drafted so we kind of talked about this a little bit but it doesn't matter that johnson taylor killed it because if he gets taken by miami and someone like cam Akers is taken by the chiefs then i know cam Akers is probably my 101 because the chiefs offense is just a million times better than the dolphins offense, right <laughs> exactly. so i guess my takeaway is like it maybe knocked some a few dudes that you know would have been ancillary pieces like kind of off my radar but everyone else kind of did what they expected and if anything it kind of built the hype around these players right because everyone kind of 
showed out during the combine and we had a lot of amazing like test results and stuff like that. So maybe it heightened some of these values of these picks, um, at least in circles that pay attention to it. Like with my friends and our other dynasty league, they couldn't care at all about the combine. So it did nothing to help increase the value of the first rounders I have, but maybe it helps me feel better about having four first rounders than, you know, if I would have last year. Well, yeah, it, it probably has a lot to do with uh, how involved people are on Twitter in your league. Um, <laughs> I feel like the people that are on Twitter tend to have that uh, whole like dynasty Twitter uh, feel and, you know, basically just kind of like go with the pack for the most part. I'm not saying everybody's like that, but you know, you kind of get the, uh, you get the, the people that are freaking out about Jonathan Taylor and his four, three, nine and all that. And uh, you know, next thing, you know, like you said, he's one one regardless. And then, you know, the draft happens and everything can change. So, you know, we're definitely going to get into the combine. We're going to get into, rookies and all that kind of stuff as it goes along but you know i'd really like to wait and see or at least until we get a little closer to the draft and maybe we start getting some actual uh thoughts from teams and and everything and even then until the draft actually happens most of the time <laughs> they're not very accurate so um we'll, we'll be talking about that a lot more in the future uh for today we're gonna break down two players uh give our opinions on them and uh you know kind of go over what we uh, how we feel uh they're going to, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, how we uh, assume that they're going to do in 2020, uh, how we feel about them as players going forward or, you know, for the short or long term. Um, the first one we're going to be talking about is Kenyon Drake, and then we'll get into AJ Brown after that. Um, so you obviously wrote an article about Drake uh, recently, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the website that it's on, but if you want to plug that, uh, obviously feel free and uh, go over your findings that uh, you had a lot of great information in there. Uh, and so I'm definitely interested to hear all about it. Yeah. So I, I started writing about what, like maybe a month ago. And um, after my second article, a guy, um, F FF fall all day. Um, he, he commented and told me he wanted me to start writing for his patron site. And so I was like super hyped. I was like, oh my God, like someone wants me to write for them. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I kind of just started writing different articles. Like initially, right, my first couple articles were just about our league. And then I was like, oh, I should probably start writing about other things. And I kind of did that comparison article between Sutton and Shark. And then I was trying to look for inspiration for what the next article could be. And I was going through uh, fantasy pros, looking at like, you know, ADP and things like that. And Kenyon Drake kind of stood out to me. And so if you're interested in reading the article, you can go on to my Twitter at 209-T-W-O-O-O-H-N-I-N-E. And you'll see the, on my pinned tweet the, the article. But um, with him, one of the things that I noticed is, you know, he's being drafted right now, at least according to the Fantasy Pros ADP and everything, at about RB18. Um, and some of the guys around him are guys like, Devin Singletary or Le'Veon Bell. And for me, I just kind of felt like that was a little low based on what I saw in him. And so I started doing a little bit of digging with that. And what I found was, you know, for most of his career, he's been underutilized, right? He hasn't really gotten a lot of touches, a lot of carries. And like some of the few times he did, he absolutely just like destroyed and balled out. Like I really remember in... I think it was 2017 when all of a sudden he came on, he started getting carries the last like maybe 
five, six weeks of the, the season. And he like won people their fantasy championships because he was, you know, scoring in the top 12 almost consistently with that. And so I wanted to kind of take a deeper look with him. And one of the things I found was, you know, during his time in his career, he's been running behind some really, really poor offensive lines. Like I, I, on the article we talk about, um, from football's outside football outsiders website, they look at like stuffed rankings, which kind of measures the percentage of runs where an RB's tackled at or behind the line of scrimmage. And in Miami, he was, the line was 30th and then it was 15th. Then it was dead last. And then in Arizona, it was eighth. So once he got to lines where it was kind of average or slightly above average, those were the years that he had some of his best work. Um, and so you can see that through the other stat that I gave, which was the adjusted line yards and open field yard rankings, where in all his adjusted line yards, they were, you know, very poor or middle pack, but all in the open field yards, they were, you know, fourth, ninth and 10th, basically in the carries that he had. And so the site kind of explains, you know, a team with a high ranking adjusted line yards, but a low ranking open field yards is heavily dependent on its O line to make the run game work. But the reverse is what Kenyon Drake had, right? He had a really poor adjusted line yards ranking for his O-line, but his open yard rankings were really high. So that meant it's dependent on the running back. And so that kind of like popped my interest to see that someone like him, once he had just even the most decent amount of O-line, he really started to thrive and kind of pop in those situations. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I will have to admit that I've never been a, a true Kenyon Drake fan. I definitely can see that he's an explosive player. Um, I don't think too many people can deny that. I mean, uh, he, he, he likes to break big runs and, and all that kind of stuff, even when he was with Miami. Um, yeah, but... Gronk can tell you more about that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and obviously, you know, one of the things that I came across, of course, is his age. He's 26 years old. You know, I think most people are starting to figure out that that's about the time when you don't want to be paying a, a running back. Um, but I also see that he, you know, he really doesn't have very much wear and tear. Uh, and that's, uh, even going all the way to college. I mean, he barely got the ball in college. He's at least like compared to other running backs, he's barely gotten the ball in the NFL. Uh, but when he has gotten the ball, he's done you know pretty well with it. Uh, I came across a few things and I, you know, maybe a smarter person than I can, uh, tell us exactly what it means, but I was kind of, uh, interested by it. And it kind of goes with what you're saying, but um, I guess maybe it kind of paints a different picture than, uh, than what you were painting with it. And that was that he, he created 0.96 yards per carry uh, last year, which was 47th in the league, which, you know, I, I don't know exactly how many like running backs ran the ball, rushed the ball last year. Um, but I would assume that 47th in the league is not considered like the, top echelon of the league or anything like that um absolutely and so i uh you know i'm not saying created yards is the like most important stat in the world or anything but i just thought that was kind of interesting because it you know it kind of seemed like he was maybe doing or at least that makes me think that he was kind of doing what the maybe the line was giving him but then your stats kind of paint a different picture so maybe it's just that we can uh, look at two different things and figure out or, or look at the same thing and figure out two different answers or, or, uh, or I'm not sure, but uh, I also came across that he had a juke rate of 15.5%, which was 49th in the league. 
So it didn't really seem like he was getting away from defenders uh, once they were coming there, or at least not juking them. You know, he was, uh, you know, kind of getting tackled uh, once he uh, met a defender, whenever that was. Um, And so I didn't know if you had any other stats that would maybe back up your argument compared to that, or if, uh, if you had any thoughts about that. No, so I, I, I definitely was looking at some of this stuff, right? Because I think you got it from player profile. Yes, um, yes, yes. Right. So the, the thing with yards created is, right, it talks about like it's all yards above and beyond what was blocked per touch. Yards created are generated by the runner after first evaded tackle. So then I'm starting to wonder like what that really means and how they, they measure that. But sure. it definitely, you know, I, I see what you're, you're saying there and that, He's not, he didn't display some of that elusiveness, right? But if we look at, let's see, I'm trying to look at some of this other stuff. Like I was looking at his 2018 metrics and in evaded tackles, he was like 13. So I know he can, he can evade tackles and break some tackles. So I'm wondering what exactly some of these truly mean. Like last year, he was only 35th in evaded tackles. So I'm wondering why that was, what kind of changed in between that and how much of that was happening in his time in Miami too, because they don't divide up, you know, the, the stuff between the two teams, right. They just go across all 14 games. And that, and that's and so, definitely true. Cause like you said, it, it doesn't specify this is what percentage he had here. And this is what percentage he had there. So it absolutely could, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a, a combination of the two and it, it could be that he had a juke rate of, you know, 40% when he was with the Cardinals and uh, 3% when he was with the, the, the Dolphins. And, and, you know, maybe we're just reading too much into it. But one thing. No, so that's but, one of the this catchy things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. So uh, one thing I did find, though, that I thought was interesting and, and you know, maybe kind of leans towards uh, his success towards the end of the season was he went up against uh, six or less men in the box. So like what they consider. And once again, this is from player profile um he went up against six or less men in the box 55 percent of the time which was uh 14th in the league so he he went up against a light front uh a lot of the time more than half of the time and uh you know that can obviously lead to some pretty big plays when you're only going up against like five or six defenders so i thought that was kind of interesting too and i wonder if if teams might you know obviously pick up on that uh, maybe uh, game plan a little differently since he came in so late in the season. Uh, maybe they'll have some, some tape to go off of and say, Hey, you know, they were killing us with this run. Uh, you know, we need to put seven men in the box, eight men in the box, whatever it might be. No, I, I agree. And so it's one of the reasons where, you know, like in my article, I talked about him being a buy low right now, because I feel like he's better than the RB 18, right. Based on the stuff he's shown. And so if he sticks in Arizona, I really would love to have him on my team, right? Because that offense runs in such a way where, like, if you look at his shotgun carry rate, it was 70.6%, which is like sixth in the league. And because of that, you're facing lighter boxes, right? It starts to come down to how um, the offense is game plan. Like, if he goes to an offense that, you know, runs a more traditional style of offense, like, I don't know, let's say Buffalo, Mm. right? Like, then I'm, I'm not as high on him as a result. And so it's definitely some risk built in to buying him. But, you know, if he stays or if he goes to a spot where he's going to see those lighter fronts, which, you know, a few offenses are making those adjustments, right? Like we, we saw how successful Gurley was once he started facing lighter fronts because the way the Rams would run 
the the th- three wide like you know almost consistently so it's one of those things where landing spot will affect it but if you kind of believe in the player which i'm starting you know i started to believe a lot more as i did more research then i'm more comfortable with it because i think even at worst right like say he's not going to be getting a lot of light boxes with his rushing he still offers a lot of that value in receiving and so as a player right he he think he's had back-to-back seasons with 50 plus catches despite not really being featured all that much and so that kind of shows me and as you know as we've learned like catches are super valuable in ppr leagues when it comes to running backs like you're not going to finish as a top you know seven eight running back unless you're getting a decent amount of touches unless your name is derrick henry <laughs> but um i think that's another reasons why another reason why i'm kind of comfortable with drake is that he offers that reception upside where i think you can easily see you know him getting 50 to 65 catches in a season especially if he's getting above 60 percent snap share um that was the thing that kind of happened in arizona right is his snap share just kind of went up and all of a sudden he became the back and let's say he goes somewhere like tampa bay um while last year tampa bay's backs kind of split those carries because there wasn't really like one true dominant running back let's say Kenyon drake goes there we know bruce arians and as far as his experience with running backs he likes to have a workhorse and i think Kenyon drake can really be that and Kenyon drake showed that in arizona i think he showed a lot of teams he can be the workhorse and i know Drake's asking for like eight to 10 million a year, but I don't think anyone's really going to give him that. And I think eventually he's going to have to settle around, you know, maybe 6 million a year. And if he does that and he goes, you know, he stays in Arizona and he goes to Tampa Bay, like he can be, you know, a huge asset in fantasy because those are teams that like to get the back involved in the passing game. And that's going to be really valuable because he's demonstrated the ability to catch the ball and be really effective with it. Yeah. And I, I can definitely understand that. I mean, he def he had a, uh, a great season, uh, you know, once he got over to the Cardinals and he made a, gr- a lot of great points about it, you know, maybe there's something to, uh, you know, the six or less men in the box because of Kyler, you know, maybe it's the scheme of the offense, that kind of thing. Um, I guess that's kind of assuming or hoping that he's going to still be the starter in uh, Arizona. I guess my opinion would be that he's not going to be, or at least he's not going to be, you know, the, the workhorse back uh, just because based off of his, his entire career of 170 rushing attempts last year was the most of his career. Um, Like you said, he kind of has that reception floor and uh, that's definitely nice. And I don't have an issue thinking of him as like a third down back or something like that. I just can't imagine that a team is going to pay him, you know, eight to 10 million a year, like you were saying, and, uh, and, and, you know, make him the workhorse. Uh, obviously, if they do pay him 8 to $10 million, I think kind of like you said in your article, then they probably are definitely, or I would say definitely are going to make him the workhorse. And uh, then he's probably going to have a studly year. But uh, I just, if he's closer to that $5 million, $6 million mark, something around there, then he's probably going to split carries. And, you know, depending on what team he ends up going to, which the Cardinals are already paying David Johnson, 11 million this year with a dead cap hit of 16 million. So I just can't imagine him being a Cardinal and being the, the lead back. Um, so I guess my question, or, you know, not my question, but my opinion is just that he's going to be splitting carries somewhere. And we've kind of seen what's happened when he was splitting carries with Damian Williams, he was splitting carries in Miami. And uh, you know, when he came to, to Arizona, he was no longer splitting carries, but, I don't think he had any healthy running backs on the roster 
I don't necessarily believe that David Johnson was healthy towards the end of the year last year. Um, so I kind of feel like it, it kind of, everything has to hit perfectly for it to be that like RV one or even like higher end RV two uh, ending for him. And I'm definitely not saying that it's impossible. Um, I guess I'm just kind of skeptical myself. <laughs> no, and I, that's fair. Like, I mean, it's completely fair to be skeptical. Like you said, you made up, you brought up a lot of great points, right? Like he hasn't shown it in the past. The only time he showed it is in these eight games, right? In Arizona. And from week nine to week 17, he was the RB four in a PPR league. But outside of that, we haven't necessarily seen it as much. I mean, like I outlined in my article when he has gone above 60, you know, 60% of the snap share, which isn't necessarily workhorse numbers, by the way. Like there's a lot of guys that get, you know, somewhere between, 55 and 60 um that you know it's i don't think it's unreasonable to expect that especially like you know he's going to be getting third down um third down touches and third down snaps at the very least right and he's definitely going to be he's demonstrated he can carry the rock on first down like i think his yards per carry on first down and 10 was like over five yards uh five yards to carry when he was in arizona so i think that it's definitely a gamble Right. But it's one that I'm kind of comfortable making because, like I said, I think I have that built in force where at least I feel like I'm getting an RB2. But if he gets the snap share that I kind of think he's capable of getting in some places, then I'm extremely comfortable with having him be my RB2, which is kind of what he is in our league. Um, and to be fair, he's the only share I have of Drake in any of my leagues that I'm in. So it was, <laughs> it's not like I'm some Drake stand that's, um, out there like gathering him up but i definitely am <laughs> am believing in him so i guess we're you know we have to revisit this in probably a few weeks once um everything's done with and we can see if he's where he's signed because that's definitely going to have a huge impact um as for what you were saying about like david johnson like yeah maybe he wasn't a hundred percent healthy but they wouldn't just be throwing him out there to throw him out there um i mean his like snap show his snap share, he came back. It was only, you know, he came back week 10. He had 43%, then then 13%. After the bye week, it was 23, 37, 21, 22. And they just shut him down that final week. So I don't necessarily believe that they were shutting him down you know, or that he wasn't getting snaps because he was injured. But I think it showed, like, his effectiveness kind of just – disappeared like i mean you can see it on the tape right when you watch him like he just looked like a completely different player than he did as that rookie that you know blazed a trail the final six weeks a few years ago and won people a bunch of money in dfs and in their their championship games um i just don't know how much more david johnson really has i guess because he's also he was an older back when he was drafted um as well so he's not exactly a spring chicken no, he's, yeah, I believe he's 27. Um, I'm not sure when he turns 28, but yeah, he's definitely not a, a spring chicken. I, and uh, the whole David Johnson thing, I, I'm not saying I have any kind of clarity on that whatsoever. I just, looking at the numbers, I, it just seems so difficult for the Cardinals to get out of that. Um, you know, cutting oh. is not an option, but, uh, you know, trading is really the only option. And then, you know, what, you're going to cover half of, half of the cap or, you know, half of, the, of his pay for this year. And then no, I, you know, I agree. I definitely agree. I think you're right in that that assessment, right? But this story was the same last year when he was still a big part of the cap then too. And they said, you know what, we need to go get a running back. And then they just 
fed Drake. And so that's why I'm not necessarily a believer in Johnson kind of making a comeback. I know like it's a good lottery ticket for a lot of people because if he does, then hell, like you might have an RB one, but um, I'm going to be on the sell side of that. And actually I just looked it up. Like he just turned 28 in December. So he's okay. already 28 oh, um, wow. and he'll be 29 by the end of this season. So that's definitely at that age, right? Where we see Arby's really starting to make that decline. So uh, I was actually kind of surprised earlier. I checked in with some people um, I asked them for their opinions on uh, on Drake, on David Johnson. Um, and then I even looked at a, or actually I had a friend look up a, cal- a calculator for me and uh, look at some of their values on the calculators, which I kind of have like a love-hate relationship with calculators, but <laughs> I won't go into that. But um, I was very surprised at what the calculators were saying about David Johnson versus Drake. And their um, their value is very close. And I guess it's all, you know, the, all the uncertainty in the air. Like they, um, I want to say that, uh, I should probably look at my notes here, but okay. So Drake, Drake was valued at 112 on the dot. Like if you technically 112 should be the exact same value as Drake. And, uh, David Johnson was valued at uh, 202. So Interesting. Me, I think if you got 202 for David Johnson, I would be ecstatic. And I think I would be too. <laughs> um, I was very surprised by that. I, I did not think that he had any kind of value like that. Um, you know, I think that the Drake one surprised me a little bit too. I mean, I know people were excited about last year, but I still felt like 112 was a little high, but I felt like two, 202 for David Johnson was really high. <laughs> I guess that just kind of speaks to what I was saying. Like, I think he's he's a buy low. Like, if people are comparing him to, like, who would you rather have, Kenyon Drake or David Johnson? I'm buying Kenyon Drake, like, all day over David Johnson for those, like, what, two, three picks difference? Yeah, because I was, when I was looking it up, I was kind of going into it like, oh, I think I would make uh, an argument that David Johnson would be the value here because I was really thinking he was going to be closer to, like, the late second round maybe even the beginning of the third round value um with everything i've heard from everyone like i i haven't heard anyone valuing him at 202 or anything close to that um so like i said the 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 values on the calculator at least i mean that was only one calculator um i didn't go crazy and and look at like five of them or anything but uh definitely was kind of surprising so like you said you know if you're comparing just the two then yeah i would say that that drake would be you know more of the value or, or um, you know, maybe like worth more uh, of like uh, to throw a dart at and, and hope for the best because of the upside. Um, I don't necessarily see that upside with David Johnson, but uh... yeah. So <laughs> speaking of upside, I think we should get to, to our next guy, right? AJ Brown. who <laughs> yeah. Everyone one... in the world is absolutely in love with. Right. Yes. I think and right I... now I looked it up. Um, I would say right now I looked it up and he's being drafted as like the wide receiver 14 in PPR leagues. Yeah. He has uh shot out like a cannon or shot out of a cannon. And uh, he, his, his uh, ADP has just gone crazy. I mean, it, I don't remember. I wish I had looked it up, but I, uh, you know, last year he, in one of my leagues, he went in the third round. Uh, or wow. No, I'm sorry. The, no, I'm sorry. The end of the second round. And, uh, and so, but still, I mean, he, he went in the end of the second round in a rookie draft 
and now he's considered the the fourteenth. You said the fourteenth player or the fourteenth receiver? No, no, fourteenth no. wide receiver. Wide receiver. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. At least he's not the fourteenth player. But um, yeah, this one will probably go a little quicker. We didn't really go over him um, as much. I don't truly know your opinion on him, but I just kind of have a feeling that we maybe agree a little bit more on this one. <laughs> um, I could be very wrong, but uh, uh, you know, what? How do you feel about AJ Brown? What are your uh, What are your thoughts? So. I'm actually kind of, I'm really torn on this, right? Like, so I know you're going to give some stats that kind of explain why we can expect some regression from AJ Brown, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of play a little bit of devil's advocate. I'm going to give some other side of that stuff too. So like one of the, one of the big things that I love about AJ Brown is the whole yards per route run stat. Right. And um, I think it was, I think it's Mike Bauer. I'm trying to remember his name. Um, John Bauer is John Bauer who he writes over at fantasy pros. And he was kind of talking about this, about rookie seasons where um, a wide receiver runs at, you know, over 250 routes with at least 20 targets. And so if they had a yards per route run of over 2.0, right, we have 12 instances of this at 11 of them had at least one wide receiver, one season following that. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's like a 92% hit rate. But the one guy that was the exception was Robert Foster. And I think we can figure out why he's the exception, right? He's the outlier because he didn't have the draft capital. He, you know, was on offense where they completely just rehauled the wide receivers with the Bills following that one year where he just kind of, you know, went crazy. And so one thing I would say is that Brown definitely, you know, is a guy that I could see replicating a wide receiver one season. And he has all the things you want. Like he checks all the boxes, right? College dominator, check. College yards per reception, check. Breakout age, check. Spark Q, X, check. Like he has all the things that you want in a wide receiver. And the one thing he, like, I guess the biggest issue with him is he's really boom and bust, right? Like I I was charting his games um, once Tannehill took over. So I took from, I think, week seven onward. And in those 10 games, he had four wide receiver one games but he had five wide receiver three games. So he was either a wide receiver one or a wide receiver three plus. And so that's like the scary thing about taking Brown, right? Is you're, you're really taking a big boomer bust guy. And we're not exactly sure who's going to throw him the ball, right? Like we don't know if it's going to be Tannehill, if it's going to be Brady, which a lot of people are kind of feeling right now with that whole Vabral um, conversation that they had, you know, at the game with Edelman. So um, I think let's hear a little bit about what you think. Well, no, I think th- those are some great points. Um, I mean, don't don't hear me wrong when I'm going to be saying, you know, that there should be or is, probably will be some regression coming uh, for A.J. Brown. I still know that he is a, a great receiver. Um, I'm not denying his talent. He's obviously, you know, big, fast and strong. And, uh, you know, I, I have, I'm assuming that he's going to have a good career. I just think that 2019 was very outlierish um, and very hard to replicate anything close to it. And when I look a little closer at like the targets per game, um, you know, he had six, uh, he had 6.2 targets per game over the second half of the season, which is kind of when he like really came on, um, you know, obviously after Tannehill came in and, and that kind of thing. And when you compare that to, uh, you know, some of the top players in the league, top receivers in the league, you know, the Michael Thomas is at 11.6. Obviously he's, you know, number one and 
you're, you're probably not going to be up at that point. But uh, Chris Godwin was a little, you know, was a lot lower, but he was still at 8.5. Uh, Julio Jones is 10.4. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was at 10 and Devontae Adams was at 10.6. So, I mean, he's obviously much lower um, for targets than, you know, a lot of those top guys. And, you know, when you, when you have that, then you might see kind of what happened during the playoffs where I think he had what 68 or 64 total yards over three games. Um, and obviously there was kind of extenuating circumstances where they were just running the ball, running the ball, running the ball in the playoffs. But I still kind of feel like they, uh, you know, they kind of got away from them. And, and like you said, you have those uh, wide receiver one games, but then you also have those wide receiver three plus games. And, you know, if you can deal with that, then, you know, you can get some, you can get some wide receiver one games and, and, you know, maybe you're, you'll win your week that week, but then the next week you're, you're struggling and, you know, maybe you're losing. And, you know, when that's all said and done, if you can't combat that with the, with the, some other players in other places, then, you know, maybe you're not in the playoffs because of that. No, definitely. I, that, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm on the side of much more like, I think definitely think we'll see some regression, right? Like, you know, 33, you know, I think it was fantasy football 101 on Instagram. They posted this thing where it was like 36% of his fantasy points came from big plays, meaning like 20 plus yard gains. And it's really tough to like replicate that. Like it's tough to see that consistently, especially because a lot of his gains came from yards after the catch, right? Like he was a huge yak monster. It was kind of like how Kittle was a couple years ago. And we knew Kittle wasn't going to be able to replicate that again and so he was also extremely td dependent i think like 25 percent of his stats came or yeah from his fantasy points came from touchdowns and it wasn't like he was getting huge targets in the red zone it was like he was breaking big gains and like getting to the pay dirt you know so i definitely think we'll see some regression for him but as far as the dynasty format right like i think if we're thinking more long term which is kind of what i tend to do with wide receivers is I can definitely see him getting, you know, a couple wide receiver one seasons. Now they might be a little more up and down than some of us would like, but if you have that built in, you know, floor players on the rest of your team, you can afford to do that. And then you can have a guy like him win you a week, right? Kind of like what Aaron Jones was for running backs last year. Aaron Jones won a few people quite a few weeks because he had some monster games, but then he'd have those games where he'd have like six points. Right. So it's kind of how you construct your team. You know, if you expect AJ Brown to be your wide receiver one, you're probably going to be in trouble. But if you kind of have him as your wide receiver two, uh, maybe, you know, hopefully your wide receiver three, if you're really lucky, probably not with the where he's getting drafted, you can probably still be pretty successful with him. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, I guess it's it, a lot of it's going to boil down to the QB situation. If it ends up being Tannehill, if it ends up being Brady or, or you know, anyone else, um, you know, that could have a lot to do it. And obviously I think like probably the biggest thing for him is going to be if Derrick Henry's coming back or not. Um, yeah. You know, I, the last few things I've seen is that Henry, they're talking about the franchise tag for Henry. And obviously everyone's just kind of speculating at this point, but you know, if they were to do that, then at least for one more year, obviously this is dynasty and one year doesn't necessarily mean anything, but for one more year, you're talking about probably some, excuse me, uh, some low targets and, and, and uh, you know, maybe, it, he would either is going to have to keep up that really high percentage. Like he had a 15.4% TD rate, which was 5% higher than anyone else that I looked at. And that was including Michael Thomas, Chris Godwin, Julio, DeAndre Hopkins, and Devontae Adams. Um, in fact, he was, uh, he was 9% higher than most of them. And that was including Thomas and, and Hopkins and Adams. So, 
uh, it just seems like it's going to be really difficult for him to replicate things unless he can start getting a lot of targets all the time. And like you said, even getting those high quality targets in the red zone and things to that nature. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like, I think we, and we kind of talked about this stat and, uh, you know, we, I saw it on Twitter today from I Lovato, the Sox, and he, he kind of posted this little chart of AJ Brown compared to some other wide receivers. And the stat that kind of stood out to me was that AJ Brown had more yards after catch per target than anyone had per reception period. Right. <laughs> Which is crazy to think about. Like that's an insane statistic and it just shows kind of how he was able to get so much more after the catch. And that's so much more difficult to do year in and year out for, you know, for a wide receiver. So definitely think we can see some regression this coming year, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me that AJ Brown is a wide receiver one in 2020, 2021. And I guess it does kind of depend. We'll see what happens with the Henry scenario and kind of who ends up being this quarterback for him. Yeah, absolutely. He, I mean, yeah, he's, he's obviously young enough to where, you know, like I said, one year isn't going to matter, even if it isn't 2020. So he, he definitely, you know, could be well worth the buy. Uh, you know, I just had, I think I told you about a, a league or a trade in one of my leagues uh, where he essentially got traded for the 101. There was obviously other pieces involved and everything, but um, he, uh, he was actually, well, I guess it was a little, probably a little bit more than the 101. There were some seconds involved, uh, but you know, it's uh it very well could be worth that price in the long run. I'm just kind of not necessarily a believer for 2020. And I think your example of, of Kittle uh, comparing him to George Kittle was, was a, uh, a great one because it kind of does remind me of that. I mean, Kittle still had a good year. Uh, he was still a top player and obviously at his position, which with tight ends, it's very different because there's only like four of them that really matter, but um, you know, but he didn't do nearly or didn't have near the efficiency that he had the you know year prior. So, I'm kind of looking for something more like that. And if he doesn't get a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more targets, like I was saying, then, you know, I think it might be uh, a much different year this year. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think, right. Like we understand targets are where these guys are going to get their points. The more targets, the more red zone targets, the better opportunity for these guys to get fantasy points. Cause you can't rely on these big plays consistently. Like even Tyreek Hill, like his numbers, you know, per game were down a little bit in comparison to where they've been because he's a, you know, he was for a long time a really big play receiver. And we kind of started to see him become more of a reception target guy just, you know, over the last year, really. So um, definitely think A.J. Brown sell now, maybe buy by the end of the year. And that's the great thing about dynasties. You can do all that. You can buy them now, sell them in three weeks, you know, <laughs> depending on what happens. And, and that's one of my favorite parts. And I, I always try to do that with players. It doesn't always work out, but I definitely try. Crescent, I really do appreciate you joining me tonight. We'll be putting out another show on Thursday with a couple more over and undervalued players. But until then, we're cashing out.